As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. And in this one, Transfer Deadline Day. Ronaldo to Dan James... Did the Glazers smash this window in an ironic reversal of usual trade practice? And what to make of Griezmann and Kamavinga and the other deadline day debates? Road to Qatar. It's Hungary for England, but are you after what happened at Wembley? Plus, we are Spartak FC. Bergkamp's lost goal hits and misses with the return of the even bigger WSL and much, much more in this totally football show in association with Paddy Power. Hey, listener, look at this. We're with you early this Thursday because we've done this one on a Wednesday night. Here in front of me in their pyjamas, we've got Duncan Alexander. All right, Duncan. Hello, James. Yes, Tom Williams is with us too. Hello, James. Hurrah. And so is Sasha Gurinov. All right, Sash. Hi, James. Very cosy. Are you cosy? Yeah. These slippers. Mmm. Ooh. World Cup qualifiers are underway. And remember, only the winners... Of the 10 qualifying groups are certain to qualify, with the remaining three places only up for grabs in playoffs next March. So, jeopardy much. Among the highlights already, because they had games Wednesday night, we just had Portugal's 2-1 victory over the Republic of Ireland, a record-breaking night as well, with John Egan's first international goal on the stroke of half-time. Also, Cristiano Ronaldo over to Galidai with his 110th international goal, and then his 111th international goal. Crikey. Uh, Ronaldo... Uh, had an early penalty saved as well. Scotland, meantime, had their first loss of this qualifying campaign, 2-0 in Denmark. They only had 16 outfield players at Steve Clark's disposition. They are now seven points adrift. Edin Dzeko gave world champions France a scare in Bosnia's 1-1 draw in France. But the French pulled back an equaliser through Antoine Griezmann, who's been having a busy week. Russia-Croatia finished 0-0. First game in charge for their new manager, Norway-Netherlands. 1-1 in the first game for their new manager, Louis van Gaal. Big man in his third spell in charge. And Slovenia and Slovakia, which are apparently are different countries, finish 1-1. Woof. All right, let's hear that historic moment. Ronaldo! <laughs> 
<laughs> that sounded incredible. <laughs> they went into space. Not if you were Irish, I should, I should think, Tom. But, but yes, that was the sound of Cristiano Ronaldo, and it could have happened against anybody. To be fair, such is his record: 111 international goals. It's as many international goals as Dion Dublin scored Premier League goals. Another former Manchester United man. So, okay, uh, it's a lot of goals. That's all we can say. It was very harsh on Ireland. But, you know, it, Portugal had 29 shots and they scored with their 26th and 29th shots. So, yeah, painful. Among the other 27 shots they didn't score with was his early penalty, which was saved by 19-year-old Gavin Bazunu, who's on loan at Portsmouth from Manchester City. Sasha. Yeah, lovely save from Bazunu. Um, flung himself and basically the keeper went the right way. It looks pretty good, nice height. Uh, my question is, by that stage, should Ronaldo have been on the pitch? Because, you know, he slapped O'Shea on the face uh, on about 11 minutes. I think there was no altercation around the free kick. He kicked the ball away. And then um, Ronaldo did a very, very cheeky slap. Uh, O'Shea went down clutching his face. But the referee, I don't think the referee even gave him a card. I mean, w- with, with Ronaldo, um, especially against Sumala like Island, who are going deeper and deeper, I think they were effectively inviting crosses in. And uh, as we are about to find out, perhaps one of, the best header of the ball in the league, you know, just asking for it. Tom, tell us about the world champions, France, and their one more draw with Bosnia. Yeah, uh, disappointing evening, really, for France, trying to scrub away the memory of that very disappointing uh, late collapse uh, and penalty shootout defeat against Switzerland at the Euro, uh, drawing 1-1 at home to Bosnia. And Didier Deschamps went for the same Approach that we saw at the Euro, the 4-3-3 with Griezmann, Mbappe and Benzema across the front. And of course, pre-Euro, we were expecting great things. Didn't really see that during the tournament, apart from the occasional glimmer. And didn't really see much evidence of sort of complicity between the three of them this evening either. You realise with France that there are only three ways they're going to score. Either one of the front three are just going to do something incredible, which they're all perfectly capable of doing. Or Paul Pogba's going to pick someone out with a, a pass or a cross from deep, which he did quite a lot uh, in the game tonight. Or they're going to score from a set piece. But you don't get the sense of a, a cohesive unit with France. And I compare them to Italy, the way that Italy played the 4-3-3 at the Euro, with both fullbacks getting forward, with at least one of the three central midfielders regularly getting into the box. Loads of options for whoever's on the ball. You just don't get that with France. It's basically, right, you know, front three, take it away. The stage is yours. And when they're not really clicking, um, they struggle. Bosnia sort of sat deep tonight and clearly come for a draw. Took the lead through Edin Dzeko after Tom Lamar had given the ball away. France equalised in fortuitous fashion. Corner from Mbappe. Dzeko heads it against Griezmann's back and then it bounces in. And then uh, Jules Koundé was sent off right at the start of the second half for France. And they still had most of the ball Beyond that, there was still sort of, you know, 40 minutes left to play, but didn't do a great deal with it. So not a great return to action for Leibler. Mm. Wickham players in action tonight, Duncan. Yeah, in uh, Latvia, Gibraltar, the the young Gibraltar, TJ Debar, was playing for uh, Gibraltar. He's one of their, one of their staff Did players. 
He didn't hit the bar, he hit the back of the net, luckily, with a penalty to equalise, which was exciting. But then Latvia scored twice late on to win. But um, oh. he's got an interesting story. He just got signed by Wickham on a whim and a recommendation. And he scored with his one of his first touches in the League Cup the other week. So, yeah, looks quite good. He's, oh, sad. Right. he's been nicknamed by the Wickham players Tevez, which I think is not very imaginative because he's quite short and, you know, plays a bit like that. But I think... I mean, I'm not sure Tevez has got much connection with Gibraltar, so, you know. What nickname would you give him? Um, I think something to do with, I don't know, the rock or something, you know, the the, the pebble, because he's quite small, so what's a small rock, right. a pebble? but his the, name's Debar, shouldn't it be, see you at, called to... Yeah, I'll give it some All right. thought. Options. Sasha. Options. So yeah, France's next opponent, uh, and they better be careful here, so because they're going to Kiev in a few days. Are uh, Ukraine? Uh, Ukraine, needless to say, uh, cocked up again, uh, as they have tended to do throughout this qualifying tournament with a fourth draw in four games. Uh, they went to Kazakhstan today and drew to all. Um, Roman Yeremchuk scored an absolute worldie, uh, chest chest volley from about twenty three yards out. Worth checking out early doors. For the next talking of goalkeepers, for the next half an hour, Stas Pokatilov. Uh, the Kazakhstan goalkeeper literally had no idea what was going on. There was balls bouncing around the box, off the posts. And there was a Sidarchuk shot that went, hit the post, hit the bar, the back of the keeper's head and somehow stayed out. It was just an absolute mess. Ukraine could have been 6-7-0 up. Yet, towards the end, um, two diagonals, Truslan Valiulin uh, behind the defence, um, resulted in two goals, including a 96th-minute equaliser. He absolutely just bland them from the corner of the six-yard box. Uh, so... Ukraine throw away points once again, but I think at some point mm. it's going to click for them. Sasha, just while we're talking about um, mysterious teams from the East, what, what about Russia <laughs> and their new dawn under Valery Karpin? Big match with kind of joint leaders, or oh, sorry, first v second in the group with Croatia. Uh, yeah, it was. Um, he didn't really have much time to prepare, of course, uh, only a few training sessions. Valery Karpin, he was confirmed as the manager, um, I think, on the 23rd of July. He was trying to do two jobs at once um, with Rostov as well, but they started poorly with two defeats. And, you know, after um, one of my colleagues was asking him a few questions about the national team in a post match flash interview, uh, after the interview uh, finished, Karpin went, what are you on about? Ask me about my team. And I think at that moment, it started clicking to him uh, that he should probably focus on one. And Karpin is a guy, he, he's quite, you know, he's driven. He, uh, he, you know, he works his players hard. He, you know, he criticizes a lot, but he is also quite honest. So I think very early, he took the decision that it would be best for him to just concentrate on the national team. And that's what he's done. So Russia today came out with a 4-3-3. That's his favorite formation. That's what he moved towards with his uh, Rostov side. And, you know, they did okay today. Um, I don't think Croatia were at their best. I mean, Modric, uh, as you know, is injured. Uh, so he wasn't playing tonight. Matt missed the next qualifier as well. Vlasic, who just moved from CSK Moscow to West Ham, was sort of acting as a playmaker behind the front two, Perisic and Kramaric. But I thought it was a reasonably comfortable game for Russia. They even put a bit of pressure on Croatia towards the end. Croatia had a pretty good spell towards the end of the first half. But honest, even nil-nil, mad group, because they... Um, Level at the top of the group, uh, Slovakia, Slovenia drew. Uh, the biggest shock of the night actually came in Malta. Malta beat Cyprus 3-0. So technically, actually, all the teams in the group are still in it. And Malta have caused problems for Russia before. So it's, um, it, it's, it is such an even group. It, it feels like any of about four teams can actually win it. Crikey. All right. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to the next set of, of fixtures. Games coming up every day, pretty much, uh, over the weekend. I mean, there's lots of interesting games. Germany's first match under Hansi Flick. They'll be playing Liechtenstein. They're in uh, some trouble in their group. Uh, third in Group J. 
You remember that Yogi Love's last qualifying match was that shock 2-1 home defeat to North Macedonia. Uh, Italy, 53 days on from the joy of beating England on penalties, will be trying to make it a 35-game unbeaten run. They'll be playing Bulgaria in Florence. They beat them 2-0 last time out. Extraordinary turnaround from the Azuri, who, of course, missed the last World Cup. You've also got Brazil-Argentina on Sunday night from a bit further afield. Not a huge amount riding on that. They're first and second in the South American qualifying group, which is uniquely forgiving as a competitive format. Uh, What's caught your eye from those or or others, Tom? Uh, Belarus-Wales, Sunday. That's that's the big one for me. We should probably mention the fact that Wales played this evening um, away uh, to Finland in a friendly and I was so excited about this game that I completely forgot it was happening um, and didn't actually <laughs> remember until about a minute before kickoff. And I noticed all these Wales starting 11s on my Twitter feed and wondered what was going on. So I watched it and it was, it was dreadful. Wales missing a lot of players. They've had injury withdrawals, COVID cases, COVID contact cases, visa issues. Not a huge amount to write home about. Harry Wilson had a penalty saved in the first half. Matt Smith. Manchester City midfielder on loan at Hull City currently. Almost scored one of the best Wales goals I've ever seen. Picks it up out on the left, Mm. drops his shoulder, nutmegs someone, curls it just wide. And that was about it in the entertainment stakes. And yeah, so Wales away to Belarus on Sunday. A game being played in Kazan in Russia. uh, Because of course it's not currently possible to fly to Belarus. Because they are baddies. Um, and Wales looking to build on a 1-0 win over Czech Republic in their last World Cup qualifier in March, which was quite a good result given that they'd lost their opening game to Belgium and Czech Republic are quite good. But yeah, Wales without Aaron Ramsey, Joe Rodon, David Brooks, Kiefer Moore, Ethan Ampadu, Tyler Roberts for various reasons. Yeah, Czech Republic currently just a point above Wales. Wales lie third in the group and as we say only the first place teams are certain of going through loads of absences as we mentioned for Scotland who lie fourth in their group coming up for them after their 2-0 defeat to Denmark they've got Moldova at home oh and then Austria in Austria excellent can I yes can I look forward to Andorra v San Marino as well of course you can because San Marino have never won a game in World Cup qualifying and they've only ever got two draws so, you know, Andorra is not an easy place to go, I think, as it's known in football. But there's a, there's an outside chance. There's an outside chance San Marino could win a World Cup qualifier. Right. Of course, nowhere is easy to go at the moment, Duncan. But True. I, actually, I did. This shows how COVID has infected us all, so, so to speak. I spent a lot of the evening looking at scores, like in my head going, is that a green, an amber or a red country? It's kind of added a, an mm. extra layer of information. It's bureaucracy gone mad. Indeed, indeed. All right, well, I think we can sum up by saying there's loads of qualifying matches coming up over the days to come. And handily, Sunday night, we will be back uh, with a totally football show to round up all the results that matter and and those that don't as well. Of course, still to come in this show, we've got loads of stuff, including England, ahead of their return to action away in Hungary. But next up, let's have a little chat about how that transfer deadline window slammed shut. Ah, the summer was fun, wasn't it? No allegiances, everyone getting behind England, three lions being sung everywhere. 
But now the Premier League is back, get Grealish off the bench. Ah, he can stay on it at City. Pickford might have been a safe pair of hands, now he's just a pair. And enough of Jules Rimet dreaming, now it's our turn to dream. So kiss goodbye to that vomit-inducing unity and welcome back proper football. Let's celebrate flair on the grass, not a flare up the... <coughs> Paddy Power! 18plusbegumbleware.org This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. What transfer made you most excited? What what blew you away? Duncan this week. Have you got one of these? Um Juan Ibiza going to Ibiza, I think was nice. It sounds like a Vanga Boy song. Yeah, that's um strong. I But I his liked... name's not his his name is Fernandez, yeah. He's just called Ibiza because he's from Ibiza. So in that sense, him going home is a bit like it's not. It doesn't have quite the the Wolfgang Wolf to yeah, Wolfsburg or, or John de Wolf yeah, at Wolves. Yeah, that is. Or Arsene Wenger at Arsenal, right? Uh, similarly, Jack Wilshere to Como, which is another kind of niche delight that the deadline day seemed to offer us, is very much, well, I think, up in the air or completely off because of, well, Brexit. Yeah, because he's now he's now non EU. Yeah, shame really. I'd love to see Jack Wilshere playing. At Como. In Italy. So, question: uh, if, if 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 Wilshere couldn't get to Como, how could Ethan Ampadu go to Venezia? Is it because he's a international, B place for a team, C Venezia is in the Serie A? I suspect they did their paperwork before the last hour or two of the of the transfer window, but that's just a guess, Sasha. Como were just hanging around on the lake, having a nice time, with that, and they should have been <laughs> down the post office. But classic Como. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Actually, speaking of Ethan Ampadu going to Venezia, that means he gets to wear those oh, absolutely glorious kit. Venezia what a kits. Kit. Yeah, it's received widespread uh, acclaim, the Venezia shirt, uh, combining as it does the colours of orange and green and black uh, so very, very elegantly. And it's indeed the number one shirt of the season from those folks at Classic Football Shirts. They do this every year. And they're they're almost I would say fifty to sixty percent of the the shirt of the year uh, winners are from Serie A. So um, there you go, Venezia this year. Check it out. Let's talk about some of the transfers that did take place. Saunders uh, bringing his attitude, if you will, uh, to Chelsea from Atletico Madrid on loan. Air quotes with an option to buy. Uh, d- does this work for you? And and how? I mean, I think Chelsea, you know, are so thin in that area of the pitch, just very short on quality just throughout the squad. Um, <laughs> you know, probably quite desperate to get someone in, you know, late in the day. So he'll hopefully try and patch up, um, you know, that they're quite patchy looking team. I mean, if if any team in the country didn't need to sign Salon again, surely it was Chelsea. But yeah, you know, great player. I wonder how much he's going to play, that's all. You say that, Tom, sardonically, but... They did let 39 players go, Chelsea. 39 players left Chelsea, which is six more than the Chilean miners. Um, and some of the Chelsea players never even got to visit Old Trafford. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I think he'll play. They, you need, you know, Kante's injured. You need, a, you need a squad. Why not? Get him in. Can I just clarify myself, Miguel's remarks, before I'm waylaid by irate Chelsea fans? I think it is a very good signing. I think he's an excellent player. I didn't necessarily see Chelsea as a club who really needed to do business, but a good signing nonetheless. 
Wow, Tom, have you been got at by Chelsea fans on social media? <laughs> yeah, that, that was instant. Um, he also used the phrase "do business." The thought, the thought Sky occurred news. to me. No, I did get mm. bashed by some Chelsea fans last season when I downplayed the quality of the overhead kick that Olivier Giroud scored against Atletico Madrid uh, in the Champions League. I opined quite innocently. I felt that I had seen better overhead kicks, and uh, that did not go down well. All right. Well, why don't you risk the wrath of the Leeds fans now? Uh, when you give us your thoughts on Dan James's move to Ellen Road across those Pennines. Yeah, I think it's a good move for Dan James. I mean, he, he obviously didn't get many opportunities at Manchester United. Um, I think he... I don't fully understand how he managed to acquire this reputation as, as some kind of massive flop at United. Um, you know, he, he, he joined the club with no top-level experience, um, he was never going to walk straight into the first 11. Um, he had, you know, ups and downs. Shouldn't overlook the fact that, you know, he went through the, the loss of his father shortly before joining uh, United, which is obviously going to have an impact on, on a young player taking their first steps at a new club. But I thought he generally, you know, gave a good account of himself. I mean, he started an awful lot of, of big games uh, for United while he was there. In particular, every single time United went up against Manchester City, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer would start him to try and utilise his pace on the counter-attack. And I think I think there was a sort of... There was some subsection of Man United fans who decided that they were going to, you know, just make out that he was absolutely hopeless. When that wasn't the case, he's, he's a, he, you know, he's a very able footballer, super quick, two-footed, mm. international um, and hopefully he'll get more of a look in at, at Leeds because I think you know I think he deserves it. I mean, people forget his first season at United 2019-20. He scored three goals and assisted six. That's that's a pretty good return for someone who was uh, 22 at the time or, or less than 22, 21 at points during the season. Um, obviously, recency bias. He didn't he didn't play half as much last season and, and didn't really perform as much, but. I think he really suits the Leeds system. Um, they clearly wanted to buy him when United bought him. Um, and it's almost like you get this sometimes in football where a player, it's almost like a preordained path, like an outrun or something, and then he kind of goes awry. Um, and then he gets back on the track he was he was supposed to be on all the time. And it feels like this was where he was meant to go, really. Um, and I think he'll, he'll do pretty well. You're likening Old Trafford to that bit of rough grass on the side of the, the screen. Ocean breeze. The kind of, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But also there was right. that clip of Leeds fans on the opening day abusing Dan James, saying, oh, really? uh, I'll paraphrase, you're not good enough to play for Leeds. Hope they'll, I imagine they've backtracked heavily this week. But well, there we there's go. also the, the, the extraordinary scenes from Leeds All or Nothing, uh, which detailed in, in, in agonising detail the, the, the day and the night that he spent essentially at Ellen Row waiting for Swansea to okay a deal that had seemed done. He'd effectively left Leeds, he'd done the medical, he'd posed with the shirt, he'd signed the bits of paper. And then with his dad, he had to make the long drive back to Swansea and, uh, and let it all go. All, all narrated by Russell Crowe as well. I don't know if he, was he across this move now or not, Russell? Or is he be, probably busy with Arsenal's all or nothing because there's certainly plenty in need of his dramatic tones on, on that. Leeds did reference the aborted move for, for Daniel James on Twitter um, in quite a clever way, uh, which was nice to see. Made a change from them bashing female football pundits for no reason whatsoever. Exactly. So, you know. Exactly. 
Let's have a little word about Arsenal because there's one or two things to talk about. They're Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who they denied a low move to Everton but then told him he couldn't play for them either, so he's stuck. Was that just because of the social media post? Are there other things going on? Also, Hector Bellerin leaving, which was a surprise, and as was the arrival of Bologna right-back Takehiro Tomiyasu, who's never had a red card, I read, in his career, but he's with Arsenal now, so... We'll see. What, what 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 did you think? Well, on Maitland Niles, um, it seems like cross Arteta slightly, and you're banished from the training ground. It feels like he spends eighty percent of his time either banishing or unbanishing players from the training ground. It must be like a sort of you know a special setup. Surprised Watford scouting system haven't picked up some of these players as they're you know walking away from because obviously they share training pitches sort of. Um, I mean, there's been a lot made about how, you know, Arsenal of the, the high spenders of any Premier League club, but that's a slight misnomer, isn't it? Because if you factor in wages, then I think mm. there's many clubs that will have spent more money. But Arsenal had a really difficult task. They had to they had to bring in four, five, six players and sort of fashion a, a new side or half a new side. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a rough few months, I would think. And it's not the ideal sort of um, environment for a lot of those new players to, to come into. Ben White, who, you know, had a difficult but ultimately successful season with with Brighton last year has uh, swapped that for quite a difficult proposition I think one of the issues with Arsenal is um, I think it's not a gradual change I mean if you, if you look at the players they, they moved out this summer even on loans Torreira so we'll see William is gone Bellerin Rhys Nelson Genduzzi David Luiz is gone Danny Sibais has gone back and I think when you, you were undergoing that much change uh, with the players they're bringing in, especially if there is no, well, if there is no structure to to, to how they're supposed to play, it's. I don't think it's, it's a massive surprise that when they come onto the pitch, they do something okay for five minutes, and as soon as something becomes a little more complicated or confusing, they just go up. We don't know, we don't know what to do here. Speaking of uh, William, uh, did you see his apology to Arsenal fans? And indeed, is it, what what reads is a pretty noble gesture, agreeing to terminate the last two years of the, his contract. How much money is he basically giving up on there? It's, it's, it's sort of twenty of million. Millions. Yeah, which is pretty extraordinary. His agent Kia Jaramshian says he went to Arsenal for the project, and the project wasn't there. What player? Asked Kia, somewhat rhetorically, has gone to Arsenal recently and not been a disaster. As I say, there was a rhetorical question, I think, from Kia, not one that we had to necessarily answer. But, you know, good on you, William. But of many jokes. But, uh, yeah. I mean, William leaves Arsenal with a higher assists to appearance record than Mark Overmars, but I'm not sure that he offered more than Mark Overmars. So. Right. Uh, oh, Spurs also got in a right back. As Grace Robertson points out on Twitter... Can't imagine anything more stinging than Matt Doherty's former manager at Wolves taking over at Spurs and immediately saying, yeah, we need a new right-back. So they brought in the excellently named Emerson Royale from Barcelona. Look forward to seeing him in action. Yeah, pretty staggering fall from grace for Matt Doherty. I remember thinking that that was a, a move that he had fully earned on the back of the quality of his performances with Wolves and you assumed that he would he would end up going up a level, joining a club like Spurs with, with Champions League aspirations. And instead, he's just disappeared from view completely. Obviously, Jaffet Tanganga started the first three games of the season uh, and he's not got any sort of looking at all. I don't know anything at all about Emerson Royal, but I'm assuming he'll be first choice. How long did Emerson Royal actually spend at Barcelona? Because he only went there from Betis this summer 
at which stage they had to move him on. I'm not. Did they even make money on him? I'm not, not sure. Well, I think I think he was on loan from Barca at, at Betis, was he not? But it was one of those oh, he never bit, actually okay. never played a game. So it wasn't quite a Robert Yarney who in the 90s, um, he was at Real Betis. Real Madrid wanted to buy him, but Betis didn't want to sell him for, for various reasons. So they sold him to Coventry City, as he would in the, in the late 90s. And uh, mysteriously, a few days later, Coventry sold him to Real Madrid. Just, you know, randomly. No, no skullduggery at all. So uh, quite like transfers like that. Gabriel Heinz at Liverpool, I think, tried to pull something similar and Ferguson wouldn't have it. Speaking of Barcelona, by the way, Tom, talk to us about them selling Antoine Griezmann, or I say selling, sending Griezmann back to Atletico Madrid on loan with an option to buy for £40 million. Barcelona bought him from Atletico Madrid for three times that, Becoming in the process so broke that they couldn't keep Luis Suarez, who went to Atletico Madrid, and will now be joined there by Antoine Griezmann, who's, who's just gone there essentially on a free. Remarkable. And they're not new to this. I remember a similar deal when they brought in Ibra, sending um, Samuel Eto and a, a massive wad of cash to, to Inter, who promptly won the treble with him. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, I mean, just a remarkable sequence of events and... You know, this has been the summer when all of Barcelona's chickens have have come home to roost. And I think the Griezmann business just sums it up perfectly. I mean, they spent a huge amount of money on him. It was apparent before the ink was even dry on his contract that he was never going to be a good fit at Barcelona. This is a player who has never thrived, um, you know, in a 4-3-3. Needs to be in the middle, needs to have the sort of freedom to move around and, and you know, form connections with his teammates. Was never going to be granted that, playing alongside Lionel Messi. Um, and, you know, ends up leaving uh, and, you know, as looks likely, will end up rejoining Atletico for, you know, for a fraction of what Barcelona paid for him. And then you wonder whether, had they, had they agreed this deal earlier in the window, might it have freed up a bit of cash for them to to tie no. Messi down to the contract that they weren't able oh. to, to get him to sign. I mean, it has just been the most monumental binfire at Barcelona this summer. Um, and I suspect the repercussions will, will rumble on for quite a long time. Mm. They brought in Luke de Jong, Barca did, from Sevilla. Real Madrid didn't get Mbappé, as you probably know. They did get, perhaps even more excitingly, Eduardo Camavinga. I think he turns 19 in November, but he's been, already been a star for a couple of years, eh, Tom? Yeah, I mean, a really exciting player, um, broke into the Ren team at the age of 16 and was sort of bossing the midfield right from the get-go, uh, instantly became a first-team regular, uh, a wonderfully elegant player, very composed, very mature, quite versatile, can play as a number six, can play as a number eight, but joins Madrid on the back of a pretty underwhelming season, um, he was in and out of the Ren team last year. He changed agents. Uh, he signed up with, with Jonathan Barnett's uh, stellar agency. Um, he lost his place in the France squad, so he made his France debut at the age of 17. This time last year, great fanfare, scored a lovely goal on his, on his full debut uh, in a friendly at home to Ukraine, but basically hasn't appeared for France since was even dropped by France under-21s uh, in, in, in March for the group phase of the, the, um, the under-21 Euro uh, and then didn't reclaim his place for the sort of delayed uh, knockout phase. Um, 
and just felt like he'd gone backwards a little bit. So it, it's a curious one. I mean, it was it was obvious that he was going to leave at some point. He was out of contract in 2022. Wren were desperate to you know to to get some to get a transfer fee for him. Um, you know, having uh, having brought him through there, but he he's not he's not arriving there with a, a great deal of momentum behind him. And I I do worry slightly that if he's not getting regular football there, it it might actually be a bit of a bad move. I mean, it could be the case that um, that, that Madrid loan him out. I mean, you know, we we saw them do that with Martin Erdegaard. We've seen that they've, we've seen them do that with lots of other young players. But uh, yeah, Camavinga is is not is not sort of hitting this move at full pace. He 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 does feel like he's sort of he's plateaued a little bit the last year. So it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how he how he does that because of course Madrid are, are are reshaping the team. You suspect he's going to be groomed as a successor to to Luka Modric, who is literally twice his age, um, and he's got all he's got all the ability to do that. But I will watch that with interest. Well. Returning to the Premier League, loads of signings going through on the final day that we haven't mentioned yet. Palace picking up Odson Edouard from Celtic, top scorer in the Scottish Premiership for the last two seasons. Adamola Lookman's back in the Premier League with Leicester. You had Newcastle kind of reinforcing their status as an ongoing art project, recreating the plot of goal now uh, by signing Mexican youngster Santiago Munoz. Just like, literally one letter away from being the kid who was in that Memorable, memorable film. Uh, Sasha, Nikola Vlasic arriving at West Ham from Seska Moscow and from Spartak Moscow, Alex Kral. Uh, what can you tell us about them? Yeah, Vla- Vlasic, um, it was about time he moved. Uh, I think he's been losing interest and he's, um, 2021 has been a bit of a disaster for him at CSK basically because he stopped trying. So I think, you know, it, 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 everybody's happy with that. Uh, for Alex Kral, Yet another Czech at West Ham. Yet another Czech who started off at Slavia Prague. Uh, it's a loan uh, for a few million euros, and then they have an obligation to buy uh, buy him if he makes a certain number of appearances. I believe for Spartak Moscow, of course, it's a great way to strengthen uh, before the uh, Europa League campaign. But I think we'll get to Spartak. They're a joke of a club. Um, but I think yeah, for Kral, two years at Spartak is more than enough for any sane person. So I think again, good move for him. I would. I would think that he, he's going to, he's a holding midfielder, so he's going to have quite a bit of competition there at uh, West Ham. So maybe perhaps he is um, arriving to actually make the other West Ham midfielders play better. But I don't see him walking into the team straight away, to be honest. Maybe it's going to be one for Europa League. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how they do. But I, at least, you know, you, you can see certain philosophy to West Ham signings, a bunch of Eastern Europeans or Central Europeans. The transfer that excites me the most, I think, well, there's, there's a couple. Uh, first of all, Solomon Rondon. Uh, arriving at Everton, mm. uh, which I th- which I think is an absolutely cracking bit of business uh, for free. Um, he is frightening. Uh, I still sometimes wake up with nightmares from his last home game for Newcastle, which was against Liverpool, uh, which Liverpool managed to win 3-2. But Rondon was astonishing that day. Uh, just a powerful presence, bullied everybody he came up against. Um, really technically good player as well. Of course, played in Russia at one point. But I think for... You know, if we're going to get into predicting goals like Duncan sometimes does, um, I think we should say that uh, probably Rondon, you know, uh, we'll see how he fits into the system, whether he's even going to be starting regularly, which I doubt at the moment. But six to ten goals maybe even for Everton this season. Mm. He's one of only two players in Premier League history to have scored a hat-trick of headers in the Premier League. 
along with big Duncan Ferguson. So, yeah, as Sasha says, he is effective. And Benitez is very good at, like, you know, staying loyal to players that have done it for him. And, you know, I think Everton, have, I think they're the lowest spenders overall. And, you know, the Damari Greys look good, Townsend. I think, mm. you know, Benitez is a good manager and, and Everton's squad wasn't, a disaster anyway and he's brought in a couple of players that aren't super glamorous but I I really fancy Everton to sort of have an outside chance of top six top eight this season yeah I th- I'm, I'm very interested about how you know the whole Benitez thing is going to go at Everton because I still do believe he is a couple of bad results away from people turning on him but you know so far um, if anything Everton fans have been really quite excited not just by the results but there is there is a shape to the play there is a determination you know the whole team is you know, it's not drifting through games anymore. I know we're three games into the season, but I think so far they've been really encouraged by what they've seen. I'm curious to know how you think Odson Edward's going to get on at Selhurst Park meantime. It's the age-old question, is it? Can you transfer goals in the Scottish Premiership to the English League? Um, sometimes it works well, sometimes it doesn't. Um, the club already started calling him Eddie the Eagle, which I, which I like. Um, I mean, Palace haven't had a proper good regular scorer for a, for a while. So if they, you know, if they've basically got mid-table most seasons with a top scorer of sort of eight, nine, ten goals. So if he, if he, do, if he can replicate his form from Scotland, I think that really helps Patrick Vieira settle in. And you know, overall, Palace, everyone knew they had a really difficult summer ahead of them. They had to bring in a, virtually a whole new team, along with a new manager. Um, and cautiously, I'd say it looks okay. They they've done pretty well. So. Um, obviously, as Sasha said, we're only three games into the season, but I think it could have been a lot worse. And I was, they were kind of a tip, I thought, for for relegation. But I think they're probably going to be okay now. Sash Liverpool made a signing on deadline day as well. <laughs> Nat Phillips, that was the big one, wasn't it? No, Rhys Williams. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's an, it's, it's it's interesting uh, with Liverpool um, because effectively what they seem to do is uh, yeah sell squad players, uh, buy a centre back. And give everybody new contracts, including people you didn't expect new contracts, like Nat Phillips and Riss Williams, and um, all on final day. And also, you know, a long, a longish extension for Jordan Henderson. It's interesting, and I think people people are a bit upset. I would say that again, people are a bit upset because they're looking at the Chelsea game, thinking, "Oh well, Liverpool couldn't break Chelsea down, therefore they're definitely missing an attacking player." I don't necessarily think like that, but I think in terms in terms of the um, in terms of the squad, perhaps there is there is, should be room for an attacking player, but perhaps this room is taken up by Divo Corrigi, who will probably outlast us all at Liverpool. Um, and this is what I said last year. Um, it was worrying me that the team was aging and perhaps wasn't being replaced quickly enough. And Jota, uh, a year ago when he came in, I thought perfect, and I think he's done pretty well. Um, and he, you know that spell when he was out injured, he was his absence was noticeable. Uh, I think. Uh, there is perhaps sort of hope in the young players. I think, um, you know, Javi Elliott clearly uh, is progressing ahead of schedule. Uh, we'll see how Curtis Jones does as well. So perhaps, you know, it is believed these players will plug the holes. But I think a lot of it seems to be, you know, take the league winning title, sprinkling of a few young players, key player like Wijnaldum leaves, and let's see. But I think if you compare yourself to the competition since Liverpool won the title, Chelsea have called themselves a new manager and, uh, you know, brought in effectively a new team, uh, which is 
as we saw, is now superbly coached and is an unbelievable opponent. And Manchester City have two squads and non, no strikers. So I think it'll be very difficult for Liverpool. Um, but at the same time, the one worry I do have, if you look at the uh, January transfer window, at this transfer window is also the news that Michael Edwards um, is leaving as well. And he's, you know, he's the brains behind the operation. And, you know, I wouldn't want to speculate why. Maybe he just got bored. Um, but it will be interesting again how Liverpool handle this transition as well. Because, you know, he leaves 2022, Klopp leaves 2024. You know, some big changes coming up. Well, also, next month, Roberto Firmino is 30. In April, Sadio Mane is 13. In June, Salah's 30. You know, to let, to let one of your key forwards turn 30 is... I mean, I don't want to sound like Arsene Wenger in the 2000s, but it does seem... I mean, I think Firmino's probably not going to get a new contract, but they're trying to get Salah on one and Mane sign one. It does seem a bit risky to tie up a lot of players, as you said, Henderson as well, Van Dijk, um, you know, players in their 30s onto, onto long-term deals. It, it It's not necessarily a bad move on their part, but it's more... It ties the club up financially and might scupper them in a, in a year or two when they do want to make changes. So it's risky. Liverpool are finished. You heard it here first. <laughs> That's enough. Transfer talk for now. Looking forward to the next window getting underway ever so soon. But next up, let's return to the World Cup qualifiers with England. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. With Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Think of it as your protection against Arsenal doing an Arsenal. And in the words of Jennifer Aniston, here comes the science bit. Pre-match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet is £10. Enhanced match odds are not included. Online exclusives only. T's and C's apply. And please be gambleaware.org. Bukayo Saka. Huge responsibility on his young shoulders. Saka has to score. It's saved by Donnarumma. And it's Italy who are the champions of Europe. 50 days on from those events at Wembley, England are preparing for action again. It's a World Cup qualifiers for Gareth Southgate's side. In another world, we'd be looking at European champions. Yeah, the long wait's over and all that. Decades of hurt, etc. Instead, it's back to square one in the shape of Hungary and the Pushkas Arena. Duncan, England came close. What's the next step for Southgate's squad? And does this later selection that he's done, does it, does it answer that, that, that move forward? I mean, the next step, theoretically, after a semi-final defeat and then a final defeat, is a quarter-final defeat. Uh, you didn't see that coming. Um, but, uh, I don't know, I think it is hard to kind of work out whether England will be affected by this. And I think there's more, there's more than just the defeat. You know, it was the aftermath of, of what happened and... And it is, I always find, I think it's quite hard for, a, for an international players to go from the kind of the, almost like the fever dream of a tournament, particularly one where you come so close to then the kind of humdrum qualification. But as you said earlier, 
for the first time in quite a while, there's a lot of jeopardy about this qualification tournament. You know, we've had years of two or even three teams going through and then, oh, you've got, you know, playoff or, or magically the Nations League because you, you know, hit the crossbar twice, you've automatically got a spot or whatever the rules were. So, and it's actually, England don't have loads of, loads of wriggle room, but obviously the Pushkar Serena, one of the, you know, breakout stars of the COVID-19 era. Um, I think if we, probably... A good comparison would be the first game after Euro 96, which, you know, similar sort of vibes, um, which was England away to Moldova. Um, two players made their England debuts in that game. One is quite famous. The other one is a, is a tricky one. David Beckham's one. Correct. He was on the right of midfield. Who was on the left of midfield? This, I did remember this when I saw it, but I, wouldn't have, I don't know if I'd have got it without reading the words. Oh, was this it, that weird time when England were just experimenting with every jobbing left-sided midfielder in the country? Correct, and this player... Was it Steve Froggett? Wasn't oh. Steve Froggett, but good. You're in the right kind of, you know, ballpark. It was, drumroll, Andy Hinchcliffe. I, I was, oh my God, oh. I was literally going to say Andy Hinchcliffe. Next. Uh, well, no one's going to believe it, no one's going to believe it, but I was... How many caps did he get? Ten? No, yeah, nine or ten, something like that. Yeah. So, who's the Andy Hinchcliffe in this squad then, Duncan? Um, well, I don't think there is one really. I think that right. England are now. If you compare England in the in the mid nineties to now, England have, you know, an embarrassment of riches. Really, um, mm. they're able to bring in. I mean, it'd be, it would be good to see Bamford get some get some action because I think he has. You know, I think England's biggest um, absence in the in the Euros was an alternative to Harry Kane. Obviously, Cabot Lewin barely got any action, um, and then Ollie Watkins didn't get picked. I think Watkins or Bamford would have been perfect for the final. Really, um, you know, harrying the opposition and actually kind of offering a bit more. But that isn't the way it went. So, yeah, it would be good to develop a few more uh, options up front ahead of the World Cup. Trent back in the squad. Uh, can you explain uh, to me or anyone else who's bemused by it why Jesse Lingard gets a call-up and Mason Greenwood doesn't? Well, Lingard's a, he's the, like, it's a Lucas Podolsky situation, isn't it, where he's just better at international football than he is at club football. So it's fair. I think that... I. I would have Mason Greenwood in the squad, but I wouldn't necessarily not have uh, Jesse Lingard. I think he's he's been a good player for England in the past. So, all right then. But the the overriding question of a team that has come to the brink of finally ending that trophy drought, what was missing in the final that they needed to bring in, and has Gareth brought it in with this squad? For me, that obviously the big takeaway from the final is they need to be to have more than one set of tactics than than what he did mm. um, at the Euros. But I think again, if you compare to the way England played in Russia in 2018, they have developed. So I think that's the next. It, it is currently an upward curve. So they what they need to take away from that final. I think the coaching staff uh, is approach and how you react to certain game situations because I think at one stage Southgate really really froze. I mean that would be the biggest game of his career and. I think fortunately for him, he can actually, he has 18 months to, you know, draw the right conclusions from it and um, I think improve the coaching in this situation rather than the players. I mean, if England are looking for a positive omen, the last team to lose a European Championship final on home soil 
before England was France in 2016. Um, and two years later, they were world champions. Uh, and England are, you know, one of a relatively small group of teams who will be looking at the World Cup and, and seeing themselves as potential victors. Um, you know, you, you don't get... You, you look at the the continuity in England's performances in recent years, semi-finals at the World Cup, semi-finals of the Nations League, beaten finalists at the Euro. There is, there's, there's clear progression there. And I, I completely agree with Sasha's point. I think Gareth Southgate has been found out a little bit, both in that game against Italy in the final. And also, you think back to 2018, the semi-final against Croatia, that sense that there was a game here that needed someone to do something to change the way that England were playing. And on neither occasion was he able to come up with something, you know, something inventive that could tip the balance in England's favour. But I, I, I really think England aren't far away from, from where they need to be, sadly. And also, I think if you, if you look at the fixtures that are just coming up, I mean, England can do the qualifying job here and then concentrate on other stuff because they have the two most difficult games in the group coming up. They've got Hungary and then they have mm. Poland away. So once these are out of the right. way and if they have a healthy lead uh, after that, then they can just focus on improving the play rather than you know necessarily looking at the results anymore. OK. England three wins out of three so far uh, with victories against San Marino, Albania and Poland. This time, though, when they face... Poland a week, uh, well, in, in a week's time, in Warsaw, Lewandowski should be fit and he's in a bit of form. He's already scored seven goals in four matches for Bayern Munich this season, including a hat-trick at, at the weekend. Duncan? I mean, just to go back to what Sash was saying, I think you know England's coaching team possibly isn't the most tactically advanced in the world, but they have proven very good at learning from their mistakes. You know, the, the England after a hundred years or whatever, have finally shaken off the idea that English football is naturally superior to the rest of the world and they just have to turn up. And that has been the most refreshing thing of the last few years is that they actually now do prepare and maybe there's still an improvement they can do, but I think that they, they don't go into each qualification campaign or each tournament with this kind of God-given belief that England, uh, you know, will do it for St George, etc., yeah, for St George's Park, but not St George. Just quickly on, on Hungary. I think this will be quite a tricky game for England. If, if you think back to the Euro, Hungary did really well uh, on home mm. soil. It was the, obviously the only stadium at the tournament that was uh, full capacity. And the atmosphere that Hungary's fans generated, obviously there were some uh, unsavoury elements to the Hungarian support that we shouldn't overlook, but made an absolute din, gave France a real scare um, in their second group game, drew 1-1. Six minutes away from beating Germany in, in their last group game. Very well, well drilled, 3-5-2, counter-attacking. And yeah, Hungary closest rivals to England in the group as it stands. So could be a, a thorny first assignment of the season. They, people talk about the, the, the names, the historical names in Hungary's history. The last Hungarian to score against England um, was Phil Jagielka. So yeah, there you go, heritage. OK, Hungary in Budapest on Thursday. Friday night, WSL kicks off. Who should you watch out for and where? I will be finding that out next with Katie Wyatt. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. 
Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. September and as the geese begin their long journey south, so too does Hemmer Hayes and Chelsea begin their latest title defence in the Women's Super League. It's back, it's bigger than ever before with a new TV deal. Same number of teams, 12. Katie Wyatt joins us now. Thanks so much for, for joining us. So off we go. Uh, Friday actually it begins with Man United against uh, Reading. First of all, can anyone beat Chelsea this time round? And secondly, can anyone break into the top three? Yeah, I think we're in for a really, really interesting season because I think Chelsea have actually been one of the least active clubs in the window. They've only signed a few players, um, whereas Manchester City have been really focused on bringing the big names. Khadija Shaw, for one, who is guaranteed to bring lots of goals for them and really strengthened in a lot of other areas. So I think Manchester City, the ones that you're looking as having the strongest window and Arsenal have brought in... Nikita Paris back to the WSL, who's a huge arrival for them. And Mana Iwabuchi, the Japanese uh, midfielder, is going to be a real talent as well. Um, so I think that those teams are probably strengthened better than Chelsea. But Chelsea have got an amazing depth going back several years. And ultimately, it still feels like they're the team to beat. It's the team that can disrupt that partnership of Sam Kerr and Frank Kirby or find a partnership that's going to be more prolific than that one that's going to win the league it feels like so for me it still very much feels like Chelsea are the the favourites here but I think Manchester City will be very very close behind them. Okay Chelsea begin their title defence away at Arsenal this Sunday you mentioned Man City it's always them in, in the top three since what 2014 is there any chance for the other side to Man United or somebody of breaking into those Champions League positions yeah I wonder if it's a little bit too early for Manchester United just in terms of they've obviously had a big departure with Casey Sony leaving lots of very talented players that have been very instrumental into their transition into the Super League so Lauren James the key one leaving as well Jess Sigsworth um, quite a few big names going out and a new manager in Mark Skinner coming in so it's very difficult to know what to expect with them because on the one hand you have a manager who is very much dealt with the recruitment list that Casey Stoney kind of left over and a lot of the arrivals came before he came but they're not bad players by any means and Mark Skinner has obviously done a great job at Birmingham um, recently with a squad with far greater financial constraints than they'll have at Manchester United so that's an interesting one but 
I wonder if this season's maybe come a little bit too early for them to make the top three. But Everton, I think, are the ones to really, really keep an eye on. They've had such a good window with Tony Duggan and the number of players that they brought in from Rosengard, three from there, who are going to be really, really light up the WSL this year. So they're the two that I think you would back to break into that top three. But I just don't know if, if they're going to be enough to um, break the stranglehold of the traditional big three. New TV deal. Uh, new channels broadcasting WSL. So what what are you most looking forward to seeing in this season? I think for me, we've seen in recent years a very one-sided WSL in that there have been very, very few upsets. And if you look at it statistically, it's one of the most imbalanced leagues, even more so than the Premier League and any of the men's leagues in terms of how often the bottom clubs beat the top clubs and the gap between the bottom and the top. And I think this year you've had so many clubs strengthening. You've had Leicester City who are going to have their debut season, but they've made big investment, great signings, great training ground for their women's team. Brighton are going to be moving to their new training centre in September and have signed players who are likely to score goals for them after. Let's not forget they had a a sixth-place finish last season, which often goes under the radar. So they're one to watch. Everton, as we said, recruited really wisely. So I think that there are a handful of teams that are maybe going to upset that traditional big three, not necessarily by breaking in, but having results that are maybe a bit more decisive in terms of the title race. Um, So I think that that's probably something to look forward to, that are we going to see maybe a more balanced WSL with less one-sided scorelines born of teams that have stepped up a little bit this summer in particular? Well, you can hear much more about all of that kind of thing in the Athletic Women's Football podcast, which is out right now, uh, which will be featuring uh, Katie throughout the season. Uh, lovely stuff. Thank you for being with us this evening, Katie. Uh, very shortly, we're going to be hearing uh, everything we need to know about Spartak FC. But first, let's get some odds from Paddy Power with producer Charlie. Thanks, James. We are on a break, an international break. Southgate's Lions back in action away in Hungary. No England fans in attendance, so possibly no Sweet Caroline. But Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power, will there be goals? Well, first of all, Hungary are 8-1, to one, the draw is 16-5, and an England win is on Zona 4 to 11. To answer your question, Charlie, the traders are not expecting a goal fest in this one. Under 2.5 goals is odds on at 8-11. to 11. That's quite telling one. England minus one on the spread is 13-10. to 10. That will be very popular. And just in case that sounded like Swahili or gibberish, you can back England at 13-10. to 10 was given the Hungarians a one-goal head start in the match. Hungary were very hard to break down at the recent Euros, Charlie, and the French players were visibly frustrated when they were held to a 1-1 draw in Budapest back in June. They also drew with the Germans 2-2 and went 84 minutes without conceding against Portugal in their opener before a late opening of the floodgates. Yes, Charlie, the evidence is suggesting that this will probably be a tougher assignment for the Lions than it looks on paper. Will Gareth Southgate change his first 11 from the one that started in the Euros final? Probably not, but we'll wait and see. We're only 14 months away from the actual World Cup itself, which is always the time I like to pick my tournament favourite. But what are you guys saying? Well, we make the French the favourites at 5-1 to one for the World Cup. They have a crazy amount of talent at their disposal. Charlie Mbappe didn't look 100% at the recent Euros. He's still only 22. Paul Pogba will be at the peak of his powers. Both could easily be cup nights at the time as well at Real Madrid, alongside the fascinating talent of Eduardo Camavinga. Oh yes, Le Bleu look like the ones to beat. Recent Copa America runners-up Brazil are second in the betting at 11-2, Charlie. Germany are 7-1. England are an attractive-looking 15-2, along with Euro 2020 winners Italy and the Spanish. Belgium are 9-1, while Argentina 
are 11 to 1 in what could be Messi's last dance in La Albi Celeste. We can't forget Ronnie either, though, can we, listeners? Portugal are a juicy and ripe 16 to 1. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Oh, we've got a Totally Football League show. Uh, that's out a little bit later on on Thursday. And as you might imagine, they're looking forward to all the action to come this weekend in Leagues 1 and 2. Wickham not playing, Duncan. No. Three internationals, so we were able to call the game off against Ipswich. How the how the tables have turned. Former UEFA Cup winners, Ipswich Town. Sorry, lads. We're the big club now. Brilliant. <laughs> Now, Spartak Moscow found themselves drawn in the same Europa League group as Legia Warsaw and two of the absolute favourites to win the competition, Napoli and Leicester. So let's get everything you need to know about Spartak FC. Everybody says, hey! All right, Sash, tell us about the mighty Spartak, currently 10th in the Russian Premier League. We've just <laughs> lost their midfielder, Alex Kral who got held to a draw this weekend by Arsenal and then they made they made funnies on social media. It's, yeah, it's the only thing they have, Russian clubs at the moment, the, the social media, the only thing they're actually any good at. Um, yeah, Spartak, well, first of all, uh, Leicester and Napoli fans should have nothing to worry about um, because from what I understand, Legia are pretty limited and Spartak, well... Uh, if, you th- if Russian league is a joke of a league, in that joke of a league, Spartak is a joke of a club. Um, so in addition to losing their best players, they are currently going through something through their own trashy reality TV show at the moment. Um, so a year ago, uh, there was a new player within the Spartak hierarchy without an official sort of title, if you, if you wish. Her name is uh, Zarema Salikhova. Uh, she's the partner of the owner. And it looked like throughout the season she's beginning to get more and more influence behind the scenes, a sort of a great cardinal, like, you know, Pierre Joseph behind, you know, Cardinal Richelieu, if you like your historical comparisons. And eventually she made it to the Spartak board at the start of May. Uh, she left within 18 days uh, because she disagreed with the appointment of the new manager, Rui Vittoria from Benfica. And, uh, well, if, and one and a half weeks later, she opened her own Telegram channel, you know, Telegram, the social media where you can write, I think, pretty much whatever you want. And she used that, that channel to snipe uh, at the sporting director, Dmitry Popov, for his decisions. And this went on. At the same time, she gave a TV interview. Uh, well, it's, it's a YouTube interview to Ksenia Sobchak. She is, Ksenia Sobchak is um, she's a TV media figure. Her father was a uh, mayor of St. Petersburg, but she also presents reality TV shows. Well, I don't think she has ever presented reality TV shows such as Spartak Moscow. In the course of the interview, um, I think the main takeaway from it, uh, Salihava managed to say that Spartak Moscow will never sign a gay player uh, as they're too much trouble. And you, know, you can imagine what the rest of it was like. Um, so within you know a day, Spartak Moscow have um, published uh, you know a statement saying, well, this is an individual you know, individual's opinion, she has nothing to do with Spartak anymore, apart from being the wife of the owner. So this goes on and on and on. Um, and during um, the first leg Champions League qualifier against Benfica, the sporting director goes up to a journalist and says, I'm resigning tomorrow. Had enough. Had enough of her sniping and humiliating me in public all the time. Uh, so he resigns uh, the following day and opens his own Telegram channel 
uh, where he's contradicting <laughs> everything that Salikhov is saying. And it, he, so she has 50,000 followers. He quickly gets 25,000 followers. So this is stuff like signings, Gonzalo Monciel, treatment of Victor Moses, treatment and attitude towards Domenico Tedesco, uh, whom Salihawa at one point last season asked if he was gay as well. Um, you know, you can hear some sort of a theme. Within three days, it turns out that Salihawa used astrology uh, to um, opine on potential Spartak managers. So, for example, she thought the manager should be Aries and um, uh, he sh- R should be in his name. Uh, I mean, I know that Dom, uh, Raymond Dominic was famous for this and was largely ridiculed. Right. Um, and uh, as well as I, I heard that um, Diego Simeone liked his Gemini for being quite feisty and combative. Anyway, that finally shut her down on in Telegram. And uh, now she just snipes via friendly journalists. Uh, so, for example, the other day she said, Rui Vittoria is too soft. He should be more like a gladiator. Right. Uh, but fundamentally, Spartak Moscow might potentially sack the manager uh, before the first game in the Europa League. Uh, they might keep him. They're in an absolute state. Uh, and to top it all off, they have to play their games on Wednesdays at 5.30 local time, 3.30 UK time, because Lokomotiv get the prime spot on Thursdays. Uh, so they've been complaining about it as well, but no one cares because it's only Spartak. But apart from all that, it's going well, yeah? Yeah, oh, yeah, it's been going well for years and years. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. Well, that almost wraps it up for today's Totally Football show. But, Tom, I think I'm right in saying there's one little thing, one last thing that you'd like to uh, throw our way. There is. I discovered today a goal by Dennis Bergkamp that I'd never seen before. Now, I say I, and what I mean by that is someone on Twitter, and I say discovered... Um, uh, he scored it for Ajax against Real Madrid in the Champions League in September 1992. So it wasn't exactly buried away, um, you know, in a big old crate or something. But it's sort of it's like it's like a non-canon Burkamp goal. We know all the canonical Bur- great Burkamp goals: the spin against Newcastle, the hat trick goal against Leicester, the goal against. Uh, uh, Argentina in the, in the Velodrome in 1998 this goal I'd never seen before and it's one of the best goals he's ever scored Ajax are attacking the left hand goal on TV ball breaks to him on the edge of the box he chips it past the nearest defender who's rushing out towards him chips it to the defender's left he runs around the other side only chips it about waist height puts a little bit of backspin on the ball and the ball bounces to the edge of the penalty area two defenders converge upon the ball the goalkeeper rushes out and Burkamp just scores the daintiest little lob with the top of his foot, arcs over the goalkeeper and into the net. And it's one of the daintiest goals I've ever seen. I'd never seen it before. So I've tweeted it. You can find it on my Twitter, at TomWFootball. I haven't just mentioned this to try and gain more right. Twitter followers. Do you have to wade through like mountains of abuse from Chelsea and Liverpool fans <laughs> before you get to it? Yeah, there, there, there is, a, there is a lot of that. But if you keep going, you'll find it. And it just, it just okay. blew my mind because I thought I'd seen like all. I spend so much time. I mean, I mean, not like on a daily basis, but I every now and again will just have a good old YouTube right. rummage for Dennis Burkamp nice. goals. And I thought I'd seen them all. And can I you pin it? Uh, I will pin it now. Right, magnificent. I'm off to have a look at that, listener. I'm sure you are too. But that wraps it up for this Totally Football show. So many thanks to Tom Williams and to Duncan Alexander and Sasha Gurionov and producer Charlie and you listener. Yes, you. We'll be back early Monday morning with our thoughts on all the internationals taking place between now and then and other things too, no doubt. 
So have yourself a super time in the meanwhile. And from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.